my, it's my pleasure to welcome you to SACPA and uh, to remind you to please turn off your cell phones. Uh, I'm here to introduce today's speaker, the Honorable Grant Mitchell, who is um, a distinguished man and most recently has become the Senate uh, government liaison who is responsible for getting things through the upper chamber, which uh, is always, I'm sure, a challenge. So uh, I want to remind you that today's meal for the first time is $14. Don't, don't forget to pay. Um, and um, what else can I tell you? you have, we have 30 minutes for a speaker, 30 minutes for lunch, and 30 minutes for questions and answers. So have your questions and questions ready for the speaker at one o'clock. And, and without further ado, here is Senator Grant Mitchell. Well, thank you, Heather. Hello, everyone. It is wonderful to be here. It's been a while. I was reminded that I spoke to your group in 2011, I think. And I used to come here periodically when I was in the Alberta legislature and leader of the Liberal Party in Alberta and leader of the opposition. So it's always a pleasure. And I am particularly reminded today of uh, a colleague, somebody you know well, and that's Joyce Fairburn, who I have known for probably 45 years and who was a remarkable senator, had a remarkable uh, career, a 50-year career on the Hill, and was really a tremendous tribute to Alberta and to southern Alberta and uh, always loved this area and represented so, so well. She was an inspiration to me. I uh, have the great pleasure now of talking about Senate reform. I was told that I actually talked about that last time. Uh, this time, <laughs> lots has happened, and, it, uh, and I, so I'm quite excited about reporting to you. I, I've got a, some points that I want to make about about the process of reform and, and what in, drove my desire to see reform and, and uh, I think has driven reform in many ways. But I'd like to give you some context because things have changed and it might be worth just going over a few things to put what I'm about to say after that into context. So um, as Heather mentioned, there is a new structure in the Senate. Uh, there are a number of, of less official new structures, but this is a new structure. So historically, the Prime Minister of uh, Canada, she or he, would appoint the leadership of his or her caucus, affiliated caucus in the Senate. So um, up until Mr. Trudeau removed us Liberals, I was a Liberal at the time, from his National Caucus, the, the, the Liberals and the Conservatives used to sit, in, and the Conservatives still do, Senators sit in the National Caucus with the leadership, uh, Mr. Scheer would be the, the leader now, of course, with the Prime Minister, uh, with the leader of the opposition, or the leader of the party, depending on what their status was, and all the elected MPs. So Mr. Trudeau doesn't have that affiliated caucus, although there are 16 Liberals is still sitting as a group, that's fine, that's great. So he appointed, decided to appoint three representatives, um, rather than the leadership of a caucus which he doesn't have. So he appointed the um, uh, government representative, who's been filled by Peter Harder, Senator Peter Harder, who was one of his, Mr. Trudeau's first appointees, brilliant, brilliantly brilliant um, person. And Deputy uh, Representative, who is uh, Deanne Belmar, who's a PhD in economics from Quebec, brilliantly brilliant. And then, not so much, me. I'm uh, the person who would formerly have been called the whip, but as I say, uh, 
Under this new structure, I have nobody to whip and nothing with which to whip them, <laughs> except, my, except my obvious and abundant uh, charm. So it's a difficult situation. It's, a, it's an interesting situation. And I was talking to my wife, Teresa, about this speech and telling her just that very line and uh, observation. And she said, you know, Grant, uh, it, this kind of reminds me of the, in our area we'll know, about, of, the, of, the, of the Black Knight and the Monty Python's Holy Grail. You know, you're often hacked to pieces, but you remain remarkably perky. Because <laughs> I got to get this legislation through. The representative group has to get it through. But we don't, you know, we don't. As, as Peter says, we represent the, 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 the Senate to the government and the government to the Senate. But we emphasize we represent the Senate to the government. So we're not just accepting their legislation and putting it through. We're often involved in negotiating changes and amendments. And I'll get to that at some point. So that's the structure. Uh, of of the uh, the the relationship the, the official relationship now now because of the changes and the the new appointments and so on there are uh, and retire retirements there are 16 senators who sit as liberals there are 36 senators who sit as conservatives and they all sit in Mr. Shear's caucus as well and there are um, the uh, 36 senators who sit as independent senators and seven senators who sit as unaffiliated. I'm, I would be one of the seven unaffiliated. So the independents, there's a variety of them. Uh, there are 28 who have been, or sorry, 27 who have been appointed by Mr. True and then Peter Harder, who is sitting as an, as an unaffiliated, the representative group, one of us three. There are a number who left the Liberal Caucus and, and a number who left the Conservative Caucus. So they're a different category, if you would, a different, a different um, uh, category of, of or description, I should say, of independent. And then there are the um, a number who have were already there and never joined a caucus, like Senator McCoy from Calgary. She was a progressive conservative, never sat with the conservative caucus, has always essentially been independent. Now the a number of the independents, regardless of their background, have come together in a group called the Independent Senate Senators Group, ISG we call it, and so they make up 36. There are 10 vacancies, so very shortly the uh, Independents and the unaffiliated altogether will have very close to a majority. In fact, um, 36 plus 7 is 43 plus 10 is 53, and that's exactly a majority of 105. So, so you can see it's changing. Uh, just briefly to talk about the reform options, because Senate reform, electing a Senate, was very, very much on the uh, agenda, uh, the public policy agenda in Alberta. In fact, a lot of the drive for Senate reform, if not almost all of it, came from um, Alberta. One, one of the things that struck me most powerfully went two things when I went to Ottawa in 2005. One was how complicated this country is to govern. This is a wonderful, remarkable, beautiful, amazing country, and it is complicated to govern, even though there's only 36 million of us. And um, the second one is just how much, how important the Senate is to smaller provinces in, in, the, in the Atlantic provinces in particular, and to Quebec and I'll get into that a little bit. But uh, so it isn't immediately obvious that, that you could reform it in obvious ways. So ab abolition, the Supreme Court ruling in 2014 made it very clear that you would, you couldn't just, you'd need 10 provinces to do that. Back to my point about how important this, this institution is to um, Quebec and the, and the, and the uh, Atlantic provinces, it's not likely you're gonna get 10. And even to get it elected, you would have to open it up, the Supreme Court ruled, to uh, the, second er the second level of constitutional reform um, initiative, and that would be seven provinces with 
or more of the population, and it's very unlikely you're going to get seven provinces. Uh, so that's why you're left with not all that many options for sweeping Senate reform, and I'm going to get into why the one that we have is actually uh, sir, uh, happily and coincidentally the one that we should do. That brings me to another point, which is I'm not sure that the Senate should be abolished. I think the Senate at all. I think, in fact, I'm opposed to it. I think the Senate has done remarkable work, and I'll get into that. And I'm also not convinced the Senate should be elected, and that that's for three reasons. Um, one is that it looks like it would, on the face of it, be more democratic. The problem is that, and people don't, I didn't really realize this when I went, but the Senate has huge power. We have to pass every piece of legislation, every budget, before it can be implemented or spent. And um, as it, so every bill that goes through the, the Senate, or through the House of Commons, three stages in committee, goes through the Senate, three stages in committee, and sometimes it goes the other way. But the fact of the matter is, the Senate has to say yes. Now, we, we don't exercise that power, generally. Since 1945, we've only defeated, in total, six government bills. We've changed the number, but we've only de defeated six. And so uh, we, we're really reluctant to defeat bills because we know we're not elected. But let's say we were elected. And let's say, just to make it more interesting, that Canadians actually decided to elect opposition at the Senate level to the whatever the configuration of the House of, of uh, hey, Michael, uh, the House of Commons was. Well, you could have absolute gridlock, you would have impasse. That wouldn't, and what happens in the states? That's essentially what you get. It's very difficult to drive, uh, particularly difficult social policy, but other policies as well. So unless you can figure out a way to break an impasse, and Australia has a way. There are two elected chambers, and if they disagree twice on the same issue, there's an automatic election. That gets a politician's attention. We don't have that. So all we have is conferences now, and, and we try to, and they haven't been used very often or, or for a long time. The second issue that, that we, we, that we were, um, people don't really appreciate or ha are just starting to, I think, in a way, I don't mean to be condescending about that, it's really, this is really inside baseball, but if you, there was always this feeling in Alberta, and when I was in the legislature, I had to, you know, if only we could get an elected senator, then, you know, we would have, we would have uh, regional representation nirvana, and finally, Alberta would be, have more power in Ottawa because of, you know, the regional re representation uh, feature of the center. But what, but when you do the numbers, that's not the case. Um, Alberta, the West has 24, sorry, the West has 24 senators. The Quebec has 24, Ontario has 24. The Maritimes, the Atlantic provinces have 30. So if we actually started to exercise our power, it would be based on a, a smaller uh, reflection of, 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 of uh, representation compared to the Atlantic provinces. But what's more, even more powerful in this argument is that we have 5.7% of the, of the seats in the Senate. That is, Alberta has 5.7% of the seats in the Senate. We have 10% of the seats in the House of Commons. We have much greater regional representation, relatively speaking, in the House of Commons than we do in the Senate. So again, if we started to exercise our power, we, it could be, in fact, diluted. And just as an aside, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick both have 10 seats, we have six. And the reason they have 10, of course, is because they were, PEI was so small, it got four. And then when, when uh, Newfoundland came in, it got another, we'd, we needed to give them some seats, so they got six like uh, Alberta, so they now have 30, 24, 24, and 24. So, and finally, and I'll make this quick, <coughs> the other argument is, and this has not been explored, is how electing the Senate would fundamentally restructure the power structure in the country. First of all, take tremendous power away from the Prime Minister of the Cabinet. That may, may not be all bad. I happen to think we do need to have strong uh, executive power in the sense of, of, of managing a very, very difficult country. 
uh, to manage, complicated country to manage, and uh, you, you, you get minority governments which, which can withdraw from that at times, and you get ebb and flow in that power, but you have to be careful about, about just taking that away. And I, I like to, in the heat of that debate, I like to kind of kid the, uh, the MPs that I meet on the plane, and I say, okay, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we should elect the Senate. And then uh, what do you think would happen? Because there are 38 or 34 of you, and you represent 1 34th of the province. There are six of me, and we represent the whole province. We have a much bigger constituency. Who do you think would have more power? Mm. So then I say, just for fun, um, think about the US situation. What's the most powerful body in the US? I'll bet it's the Senate. And, and then I say to them, so name, I say to people, name five members of the House of Representatives, which is like the, in the state, which is like our House of Commons. Nancy Pelosi. And then I say, because this is another thing, this is why I think premiers probably don't really want to elect the Senate, because of course they represent regional interests powerfully, and there's only, it's a zero-sum game when it comes to power by and large. And, and, and so the Senate might ab absorb a lot of that. So ask, I ask people, how many governors of, of uh, states do you know in the Senate, in the, in the US? Well, you know, Schwarzenegger. He's retired. So uh, what I'm saying is it could really fundamentally restructure the power structure of this country. And we need, that may be okay, but I think we need to debate it. So all of that is to say it's somewhat moot because I don't think you get those changes because of the constitutional constraints. constraints. Ten provinces to abolish, seven and 50 to just elect. But all is not lost and let me get to that. And that's about where we are and what's happened. Someone once said to me, um, or I read it, you know how it is, a number of years ago, and it was a very powerful, remarkable observation, and that is that the parliamentary system of government is the most powerful system, or most successful system of government on the face of the earth. It has literally lasted hundreds of years. There is no other system of government that exists today that has been as successful. And why is that? It's been successful because it works, and I'd love to, get into a discussion of why the parliamentary system. I love the parliament. I love parliament. I love Canada, Canada's parliament. But there's many reasons why it works. And this isn't the most important reason, but it is one of the most important, one significant reason at least, and that's because the Senate exists and it works. In fact, Canada wouldn't exist at all but for the creation of the Senate. It was six of 14 days of debate in Charlottetown about creating <coughs> Canada was focused on the Senate. So the, the biggest single amount of time was focused on the development of the Senate. Why was that? Because smaller provinces and minorities uh, were afraid that they would be overwhelmed in a larger Canada. And it was the creation of a Senate with regional representation and a focus on a responsibility particularly explicitly stated for representing minority interests and regional interests, which was the the offering to minorities and smaller provinces, and that's why the Senate existed. The Senate has done remarkable work, and, and, and I could spend hours discussing that. But I'll, I'll, one very, very poignant example is the work that, that Joyce Fairburn did on um, illiteracy and literacy. For 30 years, she, she worked at that issue and raised that, and, and, and she would be one of the most powerful elements in this country, people and, 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 and uh, advocates in this country, to make it give it the prominence that it was given. Everybody, I'm sure, has heard of the, of the mental uh, health study by Michael Kirby that just blew the lid off the, the mental health issue in this country. Still have a long way to go, but it was the Senate that was able to do that. And, um, and I was actually doing an interview and, and making the point that the Senate has a couple of advantages, uh, and not to diminish the House of Commons, remarkable, but that 
we sit longer in the Senate. We, are, we generally average about 12 years, 11 or 12 years. They average about six. And we're not driven by the next election. So we can take on issues that, aren't, that don't even have an identifiable constituency. I mean, whereas if you're, if you're worried about an election in six months or eight months or 10 months, you might be less inclined to do that. I'm not saying that the House of Commons doesn't do remarkable work and remarkable studies, but there is a special, um, uh, but we're not sort of distracted in some senses to do certain kinds of things. And we can build them over time because we sit there longer as a general rule. So, and we bring uh, institutional memory. So um, it's done great work. And it's also true that it has, quite apart from me, just remarkable people. Uh, Joyce Fairburn is, is the uh, evidence of that. And you know her and you know her work. One story that I, I really love to tell, well, uh, Romeo Dallaire was appointed the day I was appointed. And He's spoken to your group. I think it was the biggest crowd you ever had. Well, and, and just a remarkable person. Another story that I really like to tell is about um, uh, uh, Senator Lillian Dick. She was appointed the day that I was appointed as well. And uh, Lillian Dick grew up in Saskatchewan with a, her father was um, from China, came here to build the railroad, and her mother was Aboriginal. At 12 years old, uh, her mother had, had, because of the prejudice there, her mother had insisted that she never reveal that she was Aboriginal, interestingly enough, and hor horrifyingly enough. So people thought she was Chinese, and that, of course, had, had uh, issues for her as well. By the time she was 12, she was doing calculus for fun, but she was in the slow class because of her, because of her ethnic origins and, and the, the social relationships around those, if I can be, if I can be euphemistic about it. And, um, but eventually, some, she was discovered, as it were, and she went on to get a PhD in uh, biology and became the vice chair of her department at the uh, University of Saskatchewan, has had a history of working with Aboriginal women and Aboriginal rights. She's a remarkable person, and she said the night that we were, that we were appointed, she never would have been in a parliament ever had it not been for that appointments process. So the Senate is good because it has had remarkable people. And um, it's provided outstanding, powerful, um, compelling input to the country for 150 years. So I say now, partly tongue-in-cheek, but not entirely, that um, no matter what you think about the Senate, no matter what you've heard of the Senate, no matter how edgy you feel about that Senate, if the Prime Minister calls, say yes. It's, um, it's very worthy work. Or now, uh, if there's an, an opening, apply, because you can apply. So this all begs the question, if it's so good, Grant, you're probably saying, then why is it that we have this intensity to reform it? And the easy answer to that is because of the scandal. And I'm not diminishing the scandal. But I will tell you that I don't believe for a minute that the, scan the scandal really tells the whole story. It may be the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I'll give you an anecdote. I was at a reception in the middle of all of that scandal stuff a number of years ago. And some very aggressive person came up to me and said, uh, you, Senator, you're, you're, you're all like, you and all those other senators are just like those bad senators we're reading about. You're all the same. It's awful. And I said, oh, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? No. So what do you do? Well, I'm a doctor. Oh, I see you're a doctor, yeah. So are there any bad doctors? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're bad doctors. Are you one of them? No. Well, it's like that in the Senate. You know, I don't believe for a minute that, that thoughtful Canadians will really define this remarkable, beautiful, wonderful institution on the basis of the bad behavior of a minority, a small number of its members. And even if it were just the scandal, even if that were, were the core issue, 
presumably it could be fixed by just changing some rules. And the Senate, to its credit, had pretty strong rules, believe it or not, and also has changed them very, very rigorously, opened them up. But would any of you believe that that's enough? I don't. I think the Senate had a much broader, deeper, more profound problem. And that was hopefully not an existential, but almost an existential crisis of credibility. Around the turn of the century, I almost could, could, could feel it, but I certainly felt it by the time I, I reached the Senate. There was a real toxicity creeping into political, into politics in Canada. And it festered for many years and probably still is to some extent, although I think that's being dampened to some extent. And it rolled over, swept over the Senate as well. And I, I know that, I was part of it, mea culpa. But I began to hear more and more, almost in lockstep with that progress, with that progression, that Albertans hated politics. They hated political parties and they, they were very unhappy with the Senate. And I, you know, I get partisan politics. I was elected four times as a liberal in Alberta. You know, Michael will tell you that that's, uh, you know, that's not, that's a difficult process. <laughs> but I also know that, that when it comes to an elected body, if you don't like the partisanship, you can get rid of the partisans. You can't do that with the Senate. So it's quite a different situation. And then Mr. Trudeau made a remarkable decision. And if you'd asked me, and he removed us liberal senators from his caucus. If you'd asked me five minutes before he did that, I would have said it was the wrong thing to do. The moment he did that, I felt profound relief, and it was a revelation. I, will, I, will, I am certain in my heart of hearts that sitting in liberal caucuses as I have done, and I've sat in a number, I, I was the leader of one, uh, I was never compromised in my values or, or in my ability to represent my constituents or in my integrity. I was never bullied, I was never intimidated. But in retrospect, after that definitive decision by Mr. Trudeau, I began to realize that in the Senate, as I was speaking about something or doing something, I had in the back of my mind, or sometimes further forward, um, a calculation, I was a consideration of what that was going to do to the electoral fortunes of my party on the other side. So if I were to say carbon tax, and I believe we need one, I'm not saying we don't need pipelines, but we need a carbon tax, before Mr. Trudeau said it, he would be subjected to two criticisms, uh, one of two, let's say. One would be, clearly he's a weak leader of a clearly split caucus because he can't control them. Or two, he'd be criticized for believing in a carbon tax, which maybe he didn't believe in. Or three, both, as would likely be the case. So, um, but even if, again, even if it, it, this, this didn't change what I would have done, sitting in, I just realized that it was patently unlikely that I would really be able to convince anybody any longer that sitting in a national liberal caucus surrounded by very smart, very powerful, very persuasive liberal leaders and members of parliament, uh, many of whom were my friends, I, I just wouldn't, I think, be able to convince anybody that somehow I could distance myself from all of that and sustain an independence from party-driven politics. So that was a, a, a key turning point. And then the Supreme Court ruled in 2014 uh, on the, the, the Senate reform in, uh, reference, something that was very, that furthered this for me. And that was, it said, the Senate to be effective has to, is, it was designed to be a complementary body, different from the House of Commons. So as luck would have it, if you wanted to make the Senate different from the House of Commons, which is elementally 
partisan, then you would just have to change the partisanship, party, political party partisanship in the Senate. And as luck would have it, while you can't easily abolish the Senate and you can't easily elect the Senate, there aren't many sweeping changes that you can actually impose. The one, in this case, that I think was integral to meeting Albertans' demands, meeting Canadians' demands for, for, a, for a different kind of Senate, is to do away with partisanship, and you actually can do that. So I'm going to step back one moment and just say, that is not to say that senators who, who are in liberal caucuses, the liberal caucus and the conservative caucus, don't have a right to do that. They have every right to call themselves whatever they want and to organize however they want. But it still, I think, is their responsibility to ask a key, answer a key question, implicitly asked by Albertans, explicitly asked by Albertans to some extent, and that is, okay, so you want to have that label, but how do you combine that with establishing and maintaining your independence from political party partisanship pressures? And as luck would have it, there are two things that senators can do to achieve that. One is they can stop sitting in their national caucus, and two is they can stop having their own Senate caucus whipped. And I will say that the Liberal caucus conforms to both of those things. They are, in fact, independent. <coughs> so what have we done to change things beyond the status of the Liberals in that respect? Well, as I've said, there's now this group uh, that I'm part of, appointed by, this, by the, by the um, uh, Prime Minister, and we have no government caucus. So we can't count numbers and know we're going to win a vote. It is very, very nerve-wracking. Uh, which brings me to the Black Knight, because um, I'm, I'm the person who's now called the liaison who, by relationships, has to create support for government bills. Two, there is a more objective process, and that is anybody can apply, when, and there's a, a body that I could get into the detail of that, that reviews and gives the Prime Minister five recommendations for each position. So I'm not saying it gets better senators. I think there have been remarkable senators. But I am saying it gets senators who are not tainted by the by the, by the burden of a process that many people, if not all people, saw as inside and secretive and driven by party loyalty. Thirdly, uh, Mr. Trudeau has appointed only senators who, uh, who declare their independence, and by definition, none of them have joined a party-labeled caucus. And fourthly, rules have been changed both to tighten up um, expenses reviews and to create greater um, transparency and reporting and so on to the public. And rules have also been changed to bring independent senators up to an equality with all the other senators, although we still have further to go in that respect. And then there's the liberals who are, for all intents and purposes, independent as well. So uh, I'll conclude. I've got five minutes, okay. And because uh, uh, I've been told that if I don't go right up to 30, there's gonna be elevator music instead of me, so. So I could sing. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to stay, say that the Senate is now doing better work, uh, because the Senate has always, always done exceptionally good work. I will say, however, and I mean with great conviction, that because of these changes, I believe that uh, the Senate's credibility is beginning to improve, and as I hope you would agree, you'll tell me after lunch, um, after dessert, so you'll be happy. Uh, that the Senate's credibility is enhanced. So at, at the very least, you're not reading about disappointment and scandal very often. What you really are reading about um, is strong work done by great senators on behalf of Canadians and Albertans, and I think that's a remarkable breakthrough. 
I will also say that some interesting statistics, it's too early to tell right now, but about uh, in the history of the, well, since 2004, between 2004 and 2015, so before the changes occurred, um, 21 of 366 government bills were amended successfully, I amended and accepted by the House of Commons by the government, out of 366. So 5.7% of the bills over that period were amended successfully by the Senate. Since uh, the changes, about a year and a half, not even a year and a half, actually, um, five of 35 bills have been amended successfully already. So that's 14%. We've over doubled that. And then when you get to senator bills, because senators can actually initiate bills, many people don't realize that, uh, it's about, uh, it was 13 in, in the 14, in the 14 years that I, or sorry, in the 11 years that I mentioned, 204 to 250. It's been six in the last year, so we're almost, I don't know what that is, but we're certainly upping the pace. And, the, and the, the government's been very open to senator bills and to amendments, and we've worked very, very closely to do that. So there's still a way to go. Uh, in particular, the biggest jump will be to make these changes irreversible. And I think that the key thing, and this is, this is provocative, but the conservatives, senators need to no longer sit in their elected caucus. And that will create a definitive moment uh, which will be very, very politi uh, politically difficult, insurmountable to reverse. It's also true that if people like you, Canadians, Albertans, uh, like what you see in a reform Senate, the changes in the Senate, th that can build public pressure and all parliamentarians can become aware of that and I think they are more and more and it will become increasingly difficult to reverse that. In conclusion, I will say that I'm not here to say that, as I said, the Senate is, is that, the, that the issue really is to make the Senate better. I know it's our fault, nobody knows it, but the Senate has been really good. Uh, generally, um, the key is that the Senate needs to be effective to do its work on behalf of Canadians, and to be effective, it needs to be credible. And I think we're making changes um, to get us down that road. We have a way to go, but it's uh, but we're making progress, and it's uh, a remarkable time in the history of this beautiful, wonderful, remarkable institution. Thanks very much. <laughs>